Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. We have a great day planned just for you. Been working on it all day. Been excited to be with you. So I think this is going to be a wonderful couple of hours. Guy Talk is going to be happening in just a couple of minutes. And then John and Pam Bloom, Deep Thinker Thursday, will take place after that. That's going to be a great hour as well. So that is what is on board for today. Got Rosie at the board. We're all ready to go. The power panel is assembling as I speak. I've got Pastor Tom Brock and Tom Parrish all, all ready to go. And uh, Peter Capster will be joining us in just a minute. And you know 007 does as he pleases. <laughs> yeah. He shows up. He doesn't show up. He could be in Moldova right yeah. now. At Istanbul, on some I think. mission. Yeah. Istanbul? I think so. Yeah. Now he claims that he might stop in, but who knows, you yeah. know? It might be his double. It could be his double. So that means the questions can come fast and furious. Start them right now. Uh, 877-933-2484. 877-933-2484. We'd love to hear whatever questions you have. Maybe you're reluctant to ask your own pastor. You can ask away with these guys. They're all ready to take whatever question you have. We'll do our very best to answer them. So, gentlemen, uh, first of all, I love the book of Hebrews, as I'm sure you do, too. This verse, which is in Hebrews chapter 3, it starts in 12. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you have a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. How are we doing with encouraging one another daily? Not as well as we'd like to, okay, or as we should. Nice, honest uh, response. You know, I look at all those one and other passages in the New Testament. I think they're over 50. And I begin to think, how do we really carry those out? You know, and in most cases, we go to church on Sunday morning, or with COVID now, we're doing it on TV, but we go to church, we may go to a Bible study, and then we go home. We really don't spend the time together to be able to find out what's really going on, really care for one another. And quite frankly, without that encouragement, I think it becomes fertile ground for the devil. Hmm. I think, too, we've said before on uh, different shows, but accountability is the key to victory in the Christian life. If you try to win over your flesh, the world, the devil, by yourself, you're not going to win. And so every Christian at least needs a prayer partner, a regular prayer partner that you're accountable to. And even better, if you can be part of a little group Mm -hmm. that does that. Mm -hmm. I love it. And I think it's uh, a great reminder. We encourage each other daily. Yeah, yeah, all the time, because we need this over and over. It's kind of like people ask me, you know, well, I received Jesus 30 years ago, you know, but eh, I go to church and whatever. No, no, every day you have to renew that relationship with Jesus. You have to renew that commitment and determine to live for him to the very end. And I think when you do that, uh, then the Holy Spirit has fertile ground in order to get you to think about others and to think about the Lord and to do what's right. Mm-hmm. 
All right, in John chapter 1, Jesus and Nathanael have this wonderful interaction. And Nathanael says to Jesus, well, how do you know me? Jesus answered, well, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. And Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus said, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that. He then added, very very truly, I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. When does that happen? Well, I always thought that meant you're going to see the second coming when Christ comes down and the angels are with him. But almost no commentators that I've read agreed with me on that. Okay. So when you get that, you got to think, well, maybe I'm wrong. And and I think it's probably a reference to Jacob's ladder, where he saw the, the ladder going into heaven with the angels going up and down on it. Mm-hmm. And Jesus is saying, I'm the ladder. Mm-hmm. And you will see the Son of Man. Now, maybe there's a reference to the second coming, but maybe it's just a reference to... I'm going to die on the cross. Not that he underst- Nathaniel understood this, but maybe he's uh, he's saying you're going to see God revealed through my life, death, and resurrection. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with that, and here's why: Jesus didn't give us exact details about everything that was going to happen to him. Now you've got Old Testament talking about it, Isaiah, and and the New Testament reports it. But what it comes down to is when he talks about you'll see the Son of Man and the angels, you know, ascending and descending. That's the, re- that's the resurrection, too. There's the power of the resurrection. That's his ascension into heaven. Mm-hmm. That's literally the coming of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost because it is the presence of the Lord breaking into our lives in ways that are totally foreign to us. And what I like about Nathaniel is that we don't even—Nathaniel was probably shocked by Jesus' words because he had never experienced that spiritual reality before. And I know the first time I experienced spiritual reality, it was like— wow, this is as big as it gets. This is like Moses in the Red Sea. <laughs> mm-hmm. And and it wasn't quite that big, but it was enough to wake me up. And and I'm guessing Nathaniel had no idea what Jesus meant by that. Yeah. I mean, we're still debating exactly what yeah. Jesus meant by that. And probably Nathaniel heard it and okay and <laughs> moved on. You know? mm-hmm. so. I thought this would be an interesting guide talk discussion. This is just a comment made by Pastor Andy Stanley, and I just think this is worth reading. It's very short, but it's uh, probably good stimulation for conversation. He said, sometimes I just want it to stop. Talk of COVID, looting, brutality. I lose my way. I become convinced that this new normal is real life. Then I meet an 87-year-old who talks of living through polio, diphtheria, Vietnam protests, and yet is still enchanted with life. Mm-hmm. He seemed surprised when I said that 2020 must be especially challenging for him. No, he said, slowly looking me straight in the eyes. I learned a long time ago not to see the world through the printed headlines. I see the world through the people that surround me. I see the world with the realization that we love big. Therefore, I choose to write my own headlines. Husband loves wife today. Uh-huh. Family drops everything to come to grandma's bedside. He patted my hand. Old man makes new friend. His words collide with my worries, freeing them from the tether I had been holding tight. They float away. I'm left with a renewed spirit and a new way to write my own headlines. Mm. I love that word, and I love (laughs) it for a very simple reason. It is your perspective that makes all the difference in the world. Jesus told us, look, you're going to have trouble in this world, but take heart, I've overcome the world. 
we probably don't preach about that as much as we should. As a matter of fact, I've got a course I'm going to be teaching, and one of the things I teach in the course is that persecution is normal around the world. We've made it abnormal in America. So we don't understand when things don't go our way or when we don't have our religious freedoms because we've had 240 years of religious freedom. But that's not normal for the world. The point is, even in the midst of the persecution, even in the midst of the rejection and the pain, I like what this man did because he took a different perspective. Mm-hmm. And his perspective was, I'm going to define what my world is. And as a Christian, I get to define what my world is really about because Jesus lives. I'm not just on my own. He really lives. He's really going to have the final word. He's really going to come again. And no matter what the world throws at me, Jesus will still reign. Let me throw this verse in for the discussion. This comes, of course, from Philippians 4, verse 8 and 9. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Mm -hmm. I didn't read 9, but I can. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. Yeah. I mean, I I live in Brooklyn Center where all the uh, protesting and such is going on as we speak. And I have, I mean, I watch the news regularly, but I've had to force myself to watch the news the last few nights because I'm really sick of this. And I think Carl Barth said uh, a, a Christian pastor is someone who has the Bible in one hand and the newspaper in the other. But you got to have a balance because I tell you, I watch enough of the news. I'm I'm with Andy Stanley at the beginning of that quote. Mm-hmm. Get me out of here, yeah. you know. So I think uh, we need to not, you know, close our eyes, of course. But then you got to turn off TV and open the Bible, open, or you'll go. Oh, you're going nuts. Open the Bible and write your own headlines. Yeah. Well, and I also believe we're called to get into the fray of it. In other words, it's very easy to withdraw as a Christian. It's very easy to say. I'm going to go to every conference of the second coming I can and ignore what's going on around me (laughs) because that is comforting. But the reality is people are dying, babies are dying, lives are being torn apart, and where's the answer going to come from? Is it going to come from the administration? No. Going to come from Congress? No. From $2 trillion? No. Mm -hmm. It's going to come from Jesus. How are they ever going to hear if we're not out in the middle of that speaking the truth? Mm -hmm. Let's take a little break when we come back. We've got lots of time for your questions, 877-933-2484. So far, my power panel uh, is the Toms, Pastor Tom Brock, Pastor Tom Parrish. Perhaps we'll add Peter Kapsner, and perhaps we'll add 007. We'll be right back. Glad to have the guys here for Guide Talk. Key component to Guide Talk is guys here, so that's a good thing. <laughs> I've got Pastor Tom's with me. I've got others in the waiting room ready to come in at some point, but for now, uh, they're all I need. And your questions, so let me know what they are, 877-933-2484. Here's a question that came in. I hear about people waiting for revival. Is that in the world or the church? 
How is the world revived, or what does it look like in the church? Well, genuine revival, historically, has always been, first of all, the Lord's people turning to prayer, getting very excited about the Lord. And then, out of that, comes the the, uh, movement of the Holy Spirit into the community, and many, many people come to faith. I think the uh, reality is, though, unless it begins with Christians, and the thing I've always believed is this. I've heard that, you know, look at the great revivals. They, the leaders got the people to pray, and revival happened. No, I don't agree with that. I believe revival was coming, and the Lord moved the people to pray. So they'd come in line with what he was doing. And then in that alignment was power. And what we lack today, and I've, I've said this over and over and over, we lack in America is that we have uh, inundated people with the message of the gospel. We've done a good job. Unfortunately, people have heard it, and they don't get it. What we need now is what Paul says, you know, I didn't come among you with mere words, but with demonstrations of power. And when we start to see the miracles, the signs and the wonders, and the Lord moving through people in a dramatic way, people will pay attention. And not all of them will come to faith, but a large number will. And I heard of a little boy who couldn't say it right. He said, you know, we need re-Bible. But that's the point. Re-Bible is what revival is. Mm -hmm. When you get back to the Bible, that's when God moves. And I, I mean, I'm a Lutheran, so I think of the Protestant Reformation, where the gospel had been messed up for many years, and then Luther reads Romans 1 and discovers grace, and it changed the history of Europe. And so anytime you get back to the Bible, but un, until our churches do that, and some are doing it, and I don't doubt that, but some aren't, until the church gets back to the Bible, there's not going to be re-Bible, ba-dum-bum. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, and this summer I, I get to do some major teaching. And one of the things I'm teaching is a whole new Bible approach, how to study the Bible. What drives me nuts in sermons, and in, in I've taught in seminary, so I've taught, you know, preaching. I've taught the Bible. What drives me nuts is that most pastors get up there, and they're really good at the what. What does the text say? And so they tell you what the text says, and praise God for that. But the next step you have to take is, so what? <laughs> what does that mean? You know, how does that translate to today? What are you hearing it saying about you? And finally, you know, after that is, what now? So there are always three steps. You say, see what it says, you determine how it affects you, and then what are you going to do with it? Think about that. If people left church, didn't take their notes from the sermon home and put them on the refrigerator, and instead put it in their hearts in terms of the way they're going to respond to their neighbor, the way they're going to treat other people financially, the way they're going to treat their employees, it would change this world. But too often, we, we don't study the Bible, as Luther did, and so many others, that makes a change in our behavior. Mm-hmm. All right. I've got a concerned mom that is not hearing from her prodigal, will not call, will not write, will not visit, and will not let me see my grandkids. That's a tough one. That is a yeah. tough one. She wants to know what she should do. Well, this is really a spiritual battle that's going on. We don't know with that son what he's really battling, whether he's battling something personally. Could be with, a daughter, too. Or daughter, yeah. I'm sorry. It could be either one. It could also be some resentment he's holding that doesn't really take shape or something she did in the past that they've got to deal with. She needs spiritual discernment. And so what I would advise you is spend a lot of time praying for discernment. Lord, give me discernment. And in that discernment process, Please speak to my son or daughter's heart. Wake them up so that they begin to see things in a new light and that we can eventually communicate. 
And because, the old, mm. Go ahead. And the old verse, cast all your cares upon him for he careth for you. And in that situation, I can imagine this is just a heartbreak for her. Heartbreak, yeah. If she could get Horrible. to the point, and maybe she's there, but if she could get to the point where she can talk it out with people, put it at the Lord's feet, and not let it consume her. Just, you know, uh, God's in control. God, And here's the prayer that I pray for my family. It's hard to pray, but Lord, do whatever you have to, to mm-hmm. get my family and friends into heaven. Yeah. I love that. This came up yesterday um, in the show. And it was it was powerful hour in the prayer series. So, and I heard from a lot of listeners, so they liked it. So, I want to continue this discussion. One of the verses that I've memorized, and I memorized it a long time ago, is Second Timothy two twenty four to twenty six. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone. You know this verse: able to teach, not resentful. Right? Opponents must be gently instructed, in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth and that they will come to their senses Mm -hmm. and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. Now let's try to connect some of these dots to the previous question that just came in of the prodigal that is not writing, not calling, not connecting, not letting grandma see the grandkids. And there's a very, very difficult situation there. There might be a chance that this particular person um, is not a believer, right? Mm-hmm. I don't know that to be true, but I'm saying if this person is not a believer or has not come to their senses yet, they are in the grips of the enemy. Mm-hmm. So we need to pray for a spiritual release that the enemy will get his mitts off this person. Absolutely. So that they and, can and, and, come to their senses. And and mom needs to take the part of that verse that says, be gentle. You know, with I get your, that. Yeah. Yep. Um, yeah, but uh, kind, I not mean, Paul, quarrelsome. Paul, Paul hands the unbeliever over to the devil, if you remember that verse, where he says, <laughs> you know, I, I commit him to the, and that his, his body may be destroyed, but his soul may be saved. Yep. And I, I'm not saying we do that, but there are churches and that will hold an excommunication service for a prodigal who just mm. refuses to repent. Yeah. And they don't do that to be mean. They do that to try to wake somebody up. But that's serious praying, isn't it? Yeah. It is. And it's the kind of praying praying we should do much more regularly. Years ago when I had a chance to study for a short period of time, one day, with Francis McNutt and his wife. Remember Francis McNutt? I do. And he was very powerful in terms of healing and very powerful in terms of the demonic. One of the things he taught us, me is that we don't spend enough time praying we think that we can shoot the prayer up lord do something about my son do something about my daughter lord you know their needs you know and i leave it in your hands and then we go on our way he said that he learned for healing and for dealing with the demonic sometimes he would spend 10 12 15 hours praying with people before the breakthrough came and think about it most of us now in America, even Protestant pastors, very few of us have spent that much time praying with people. You know, but that takes a real commitment and a real amount of time. And when you do that, I think that's where the Lord opens up your spirit to what he's saying and wants to do. Mm-hmm. Listener said, uh, regarding Tom's what are you going to do about it comment. I think that was you that said that, right, Tom Parrish? Yeah. Um or in other words, how will we apply the gospel and live it out? How can local churches help people apply it besides just preaching it? 
I will I will answer that. Go ahead. Tom Parrish and I worked together at Hope Lutheran Church, yep. yeah. the one true church. And <laughs> and you, when Tom came on board, he he made a suggestion for my preaching, which I highly resented. And <laughs> no, I didn't at all because he was right. You know what he said? Do you remember this, Tom? Yeah. He said at the end of every sermon, have a, a, a blank in the bulletin at the end of the sermon outline saying, here is what I'm going to do from what I learned today. Yes. And you had to fill the blank in. I think to do that, not necessarily every sermon, but why not? At the end of every sermon, say, what is one thing you're going to do, not think, you're going to do because of, of the Scriptures today? Mm-hmm. Well, and that's where I learned to challenge people. You know, when people hear the Scriptures, they're not just hearing me. They're hearing the Lord Jesus Christ speak to them through the power of the Spirit and the Word. Now, having heard what Jesus just said to you in this sermon, what are you going to do about it? Who is it that you need to, and I usually try to put suggestions on there. Is there somebody you need to forgive? Is there somebody you need to be reconciled with? Is there somebody you've cheated and you need to pay back? What amazed me is, and Tom and I worked together, we'd have that in the bulletin, and we would get hundreds of those turned in. People would actually turn them in because they wanted us to to see that they're really doing this. It was astounding what happened as a result. And... There were many, many people reconciled to family members and others that hadn't been for years. Nice, nice. All right, we got a wonderful suggestion. What what should we do about it? And another listener said, let's take uh, a minute to pray for this woman who mm-hmm. has a struggle with her possible daughter and grandkids. Tom Parrish, would you do that? Yep. Lord, you know this woman, and you know what she's facing. You know what's going on with her daughter and, and grandchild, and you know the pain Lord, you know how to solve it, too. This is no mystery. And so, Lord, stretch out your hand. Give this woman peace and direction. Help her to know how to pray. Bring people into her life, Lord, that will pray with her. And we pray that these prayers will have such an effect that the Holy Spirit will break through in this daughter's life, and she will wake up and be renewed to her mother and bring her grandchild into mom's presence. Jesus, you can do this. We pray this in your name. Do it quickly. Amen. Amen. Thank you for that, Tom Parrish. So we've got uh, plenty of time to take your questions, and I know you've got something that you've been thinking about maybe for years, months, weeks, whatever. Uh, let us know what it is. You can uh, send a text to 877-933-2484. Again, 877-933-2484. If you're a little bit more comfortable sending an email, you can do that as well. My email address is Bill at MyFaithRadio.com. Bill at MyFaithRadio.com. Got some good questions coming in. We'll take a very short break, and we'll be right back with uh, Guide Talk in just a minute.
back and peter kapsner has joined us peter welcome thank you bill thank you for uh showing up i always love uh seeing you and and having you right here in the studio is a big thrill it's so fun to be with you <laughs> but <laughs> i tried to say but, that but thrill seemed like it was yeah. like maybe less emotional than it could have been yeah no i uh, so that was on purpose yeah, okay <laughs> not surprised bill, your face is red <laughs> oh, thank you thank you thank you all right uh here's a uh, history student um Coming out of World War II, the big question was, how could the German people allow the Holocaust to happen? Most Germans were either Catholic or Lutheran. There was barely a peep out of them. What can the panel say and advise me to do today so I don't end up ignoring such evils and stand up for Jesus Christ? What a question. That's a great question. That is a great question. It makes me think, yeah, there were lots of Catholics and Lutherans that bowed the knee to Hitler. Mm -hmm. Uh, But... There was something called the Confessing Church. It yep. did not. And I love the story of M- Pastor Martin Niemöller getting arrested for defying Hitler. And what, I think it was a parishioner maybe came to came to the jail and said with disgust, Pastor Niemöller, why are you here? And his response was, friend, why aren't you here? Mm-hmm. So there were there was a remnant that stood up against the state. And in our day and age, I... I hope we're not going to be forced. I mean, I just uh, was at Bible for Missions Thrift Store. They have some books on homosexuality that Amazon now refuses to put on the uh, their their uh, thing. So that kind of thing, you know, bowing the knee to abortion, uh, tax-funded abortion. You know, these are the kinds of things that I think we need to stand up and say, I'm not going to bow. Yeah, my best recollection is exactly that, Tom, too, that that some of the institutions, Catholic and Protestant, that did bow their knee to Hitler, it was mostly because they were believing they could do some sort of social economic exchange where they could maintain their buildings and maintain their land and maintain their social position in light of working with the government. And, of course, they lost then all moral credibility because of that. Because it's interesting when you look back, what are the names that we remember? What what you just referenced, people like Dietrich Bonhoeffer, mm-hmm. the people that were not scared to lose their social power, believing that they still had social influence, even if they lost their social power, right? And so I think there's a great fear that we're losing the ability to exert social power through mechanisms like government or politics or economics or whatever it happens to be. But but I think we have to be aware of that you can still exert great social influence even if you don't have social power. And in fact, the church has been at its best exerting social influence when it's lived contrary to the existing power structures of the day, and, right? And you know what? I, I regularly pray, <laughs> Lord, help me die before I would deny you. Yeah, totally. And that's and, what they did at and, that time. The and, people that we remember, that's what they did. But the reason we need to pray that, I just had COVID. It was horrible. Yeah, me too. And I was praying, God, if it's your will, take me home. It was that bad. But I thought of the persecuted church. Yeah. And this this thing I had was so awful. Would I bow the knee to persecution and deny Christ just to get out of the pain? Mm. So that's why. And you know, I think without Christ, I would. Yeah. That's why now we need to pray. Well, that's Lord, what help happened me to die. so many of the German people after World War One. They were economically devastated, and you know, and the, the those that won the war put a hardship on Germany in terms of payback for all that had gone on. So the people didn't have food. They didn't have money. They didn't have security. 
Hitler comes along and offers that. And even the church bought into it because the church, what we don't realize is that this was still a state church in that sense in Germany. The pastors were paid by the state by and large. And so they, they bought into that. And I think the danger we have is that when our own personal security, mm-hmm. when our own economic well-being takes precedent over the Lord Jesus Christ and You're his will, yeah. we'll compromise everything we have yeah. to get what we want. Instead, we've got to focus on Jesus. It's kind of like right now with all that's going on in our culture with Black Lives Matter, with Antifa and everything else. I'm always willing to hear what anybody has to say, but I'm not going to get on any bandwagon when it defies what Jesus has already said in his word. And there may be some very good things to some of these organizations, but there are some very bad things, too. And the problem I see is that too many churches. Well, when we were we were in Michigan last week, I, every church went by in Michigan where we were had you know, we support Black Lives Matter. We support, you know, the the gay lifestyle. And I'm thinking, where are these people when they're looking at the Word of God? But they want to be in the community. They want right. to be accepted. And Jesus gets thrown out the door. Yeah, I think that's well said. I think the the lessons of history, it's we really only experience the exertion of social power through things like government or policy or that kind of thing. But I think the lessons of history should tell us that to the extent that the church tries to leverage itself within government systems, it's always to the detriment of the church. The church almost always loses its witness that when Jesus stood in front of the Sanhedrin and said, here's the deal, my kingdom is actually not of this world, we maybe should take that a bit seriously and be able to say that that the, the, the children of light, the followers of Jesus, the people who have given their lives to Jesus, exert their influence in society through the way of life that they live together independent of the social structures of the day. And so I think in, in reference to the listener bill, I think the invitation is, is to not be afraid to lose governmental influence on behalf of living as people of light in our society, because those are the people that are remembered almost always outside of the structures of the day. And you're, you, we only live once. Why not live for Christ? For sure. You right. Know? At the end of the day, of and, course. And I like the verse, though, where Jesus says, if they persecute you in one city, flee to the next. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's, not a, it's not a sin to flee persecution. And, and if they did this to me, what will they do to you? <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. There's some verse about shaking the dust off your feet there as they leave the village, too, right? You, I bet you, you yeah. Go. I yeah. love those verses. There you go. Keep yeah. talking for a few more minutes. <laughs> Give me another 45 seconds. Okay. We're, fine. We're fine. But Brock, Brock, I bet you have had to shake the dust off your feet before, haven't you? Yes. I, I remember at one convention shaking the dust off my feet. <laughs> I believe that. Yeah, I certainly. That was the year of promoting abortion at our my former denomination. I shook the dust off my feet mm-hmm. as I left that convention. Well, we, we both shook the dust off, but we also got caught some names on the way out the door. <laughs> <laughs> we sure did. No, I don't know about that. All right. Here's a question that's come in. Let's say that there's an issue with sin and the individual confesses it but hasn't turned away from it. They ask you to keep the confession between the two of you. How then or what then do we do with the instructions below wanting to honor the Lord with the request of privacy as well? And, of course, Matthew eighteen fifteen to 17 is the Scripture verse being referenced. Um, so I will read that. 15 to 17 says, if a brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Hmm. 
Did I hear that the question right though? That the person was willing to listen and confess their sin, but they didn't want to do anything about it from there because that seems like it opens up a different can of worms. It yeah. seems like if somebody has a soft heart and says, "Hey, I want to change," like in that place to keep confidentiality and privacy would make some sense. But if somebody's like, yeah, no, I'm still dialed into this sin, <laughs> that's maybe a different response at this point. Mm-hmm. So. People, people can be so all over the board. I remember one guy, he confessed, yeah, I, I, uh, I have pornography and look, I know it's a sin. I ask God to forgive me. And oh, Okay, did you get rid of it? Well, no, it'd be too expensive to go buy it again. Yeah. So now I keep it. I, that's that's called not repentance. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, there's got to be a change in behavior. And I think sometimes we've given this illusion that because we're going to keep things confidential, and as a pastor, I have, but I will push people to go back and repent in front of people. Uh, I had a guy who who robbed his neighbors, and he finally came in five years later and confessed of what he had done. They didn't know it was him. And I said, when are you going to turn yourself into the police, and when are you going to go and ask their forgiveness? And I said, I'll go with you. Two weeks later, he went over to his neighbors and sat down and confessed what he had done and said, I am willing to go before the police and receive this. They forgave him on the spot. Yeah. Yeah. They forgave him. And, you know, one thing I learned in seminary, and this was good, the professor said, if somebody says to you, know, Pastor, I got to tell you what I did, but you can't tell anybody, then you say, well, then you better not tell me. Yeah, right. Because if, if you've killed someone or whatever, I'm going to have to tell somebody. Oh, yeah. And he said, always. They'll tell you anyway. <laughs> so yeah, and I think there's such a difference between a willingness to see my behavior change versus you know what I'm that that's it. I'm just going to confess, and that's the only thing. Like I think sometimes sin gets such a such a hold of us that it's going to take a process before we can really be set free from it. Right. So I'm always looking for the the willing heart. the 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 soft heart for me is represented by the willing surrendered person. That is trying to walk through the behavior itself, knowing that it might take some time before that that true change happens. For some people, it happens overnight, but for some people, it's going to take a little while to walk out of patterns of deceit or right. patterns of trying to spin the room with information so people like look favorably upon them, but are kind of deceiving even in those sorts of ways. It might take a while to do that, but I'm looking for the willing soft heart. That is a quick repenter as those things happen, even as the behavior needs to change. And another listener chimed in with the question is, is the person wrestling with the sin or yeah. just embracing it? That, yeah, that's that, and right. I think that's right. the difference, right? That's a really good way to say yeah. it. Yeah. When I, after making many mistakes in the ministry and many counseling mistakes, I began to talk differently to people and they'd say, I have something to confess or I want to whatever. You know, I, I used to just listen, you know, and I'll pray for you, whatever. What I learned is, is that very quickly in the process, people could use that as a way of getting out of what they really need to do. Yeah. Oh, I went and talked to the pastor, and he told me I was forgiven. But they continue with the behavior. So I began to say to people, all right, you're going to tell me you've got something to confess. So your real goal here is to become like Jesus, lay this before his feet so you'll never do it again. I've gotten dead silence on people. You have. You know, <laughs> and they've just, they've just yeah. looked at me. But... I've also had people say, I never thought of it that way, but you're absolutely right. Mm-hmm. And that's what we did. In Philippians chapter 4, in verse 19, it says, And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. What if all of your needs aren't getting met right now? You feel like you're, all your needs are not getting met. But this is... A promise. Yeah, yeah, my God shall supply all I need. And I think the answer is sometimes my need is to starve to death, perhaps, for the Lord. Mm-hmm. Paul said, I have 
known hunger and want, sleeplessness, and he lists all this stuff, and it would look like, well, his needs aren't being met. Yeah, they are. There's a higher need, your spiritual need to serve the Lord. It's a great answer. So I think you can die from starvation, and that's the Lord's meeting your need to be a martyr for the Lord. Mm, I love it. Well, and I think also, when Paul wrote those words, he was writing to the church. He wasn't writing to you and me just as a single individual. That's such a good point. And when he said that, it's true. The Lord will meet our needs, but our needs always have to be in line with the Lord's will. You know, you look at the Christians around the world that starved to death. Daughters that get raped and taken away from mom and dad. How do we even begin to explain that? How do we begin to even talk about that unless we understand that only in the West have we created a Bible that takes care of all my needs, regardless of what happens in the rest of the world. Instead, I'm going to follow Jesus no matter what happens. And when we do that, then we have power, and that's what the Philippians learned to do. Yeah, I'm so glad you brought that up, Tom. It calls to mind the idea that when Paul wrote these letters, he was writing to a specific group, community, under specific circumstances. And in this particular case, the Philippian church was in great financial Mm -hmm. need. So part of that letter is to encourage him that other churches, brothers and sisters around the Mediterranean world, we're going to meet their financial needs in that point. So to reinterpret that verse to say, hey, my need is this or my need is this or my need, as if it was applied to my individual need that I have, which might be a very understandable need. Sure. But but looking at on my need through the lens of that verse maybe is missing the point of that verse at that point. Yeah, and if you're willing to present your needs to the church on Sunday morning in front of everybody, that's something the Lord can deal right. with. But when we're private about it and I want another be- I want another cabin, I want a bigger boat, that's a different thing. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're all sitting nodding yeah. our heads. Yeah. yeah. I'm just sitting there like my need <laughs> typically is five double stuffed Oreos at night. So, and I don't often get it. I don't yeah. need a cab and I want so, Oreos. Uh, right. Yeah. Indeed, indeed. You guys are easy. All right. Let me take a little break. We'll come back. Time for your question. 877-933-2484. Trying to put a little rhythm in there because, you know, Tom Brock breaks out into song. Sing the song. God sing the... supply all my needs. <laughs> yes. I didn't really According want According to my riches. Try singing the number for people. The number? Yeah, 877 933 2484. 899 It's a disaster. Yeah. We'll be back, I hope, with one less guest on the power panel. with Guy Talk. Mike from Maple Grove just said, I want to say thanks for the great Guy Talks. And That's the nice. song? Thank you. And the, well, no, he didn't like <laughs> the song. Nobody the liked, the nobody text line likes, is not blowing up from the, the music right now. Yeah, yeah no, it's not. Ouch. Yeah. yeah, that was second degree ear slaughter. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> Come on, you're singing some commercial jingle. You you're were, yeah. Nuts. yeah. Hey, Andre, there it is. No, 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 don't, don't. <laughs> I want the rest of my evening to be pleasant. <laughs> All right. Do you guys have any other questions you want to talk about? Here's one. Uh, this one comes up often, and I think people love that Jeremiah twenty nine eleven verse so much, mm-hmm. yeah. and they want it to be their life verse. But now, you know, you get people that will regularly show up and say, "Am I applying this correctly to my life?" 
Isn't this something Jeremiah spoke or was spoken to Jeremiah by the Lord? What is Jeremiah? This is that I know the plans I have for you, right? Declares the Lord, yeah, 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 plans for your welfare, not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Yeah, we do talk about this one in class quite a bit. Just identifying why is that one of the primary Old Testament passages that people in American evangelicalism know? Like, why that as opposed to so many of the other verses in the Old Testament? And and I think it, it it represents what would be a syncretism or a blending of American values with a misunderstanding of Scripture. And, and I think people understandably want to claim this verse because things maybe have gone amiss in their life. Maybe their girlfriend or boyfriend broke up with them or their dog died or their marriage failed or whatever it is. And so they're like, okay, this is awful, but I know the plans that God has for me. And that's plans to ultimately give me the kind of blessings that I think that God would want for my life, including a healthy marriage or great relationships or whatever, or, or wealth or health or whatever it happens to be. The problem with that interpretation, there's two things I can say quickly about it. One is that the word prosper there is the idea of of wholeness, meaning that it's the same kind of prospering that's in Psalm 23, where it says, the Lord is my shepherd. I have everything that I need for wholeness or I shall not want, meaning that I, I have the fullness of what I need independent of any circumstances around me because the Lord is my shepherd. And number two, this promise was given to a people in Babylon that were in exile that never actually saw the the prosperous land of Israel. And so did God fail on the promise? It, if The point being, if we interpret prosper as I have money, I have wealth, I have good relationships, I have a healthy dog, like whatever it all happens to be, that's a misunderstanding of the passage. The actual invitation is, is that in the midst of my absence in life, with God as my shepherd, I have everything that I need for wholeness. And, and I think that's where the misunderstanding is and where people then say, well, God isn't faithful because my relationship didn't work or I didn't get the job or whatever it is. And they don't understand that the faithfulness of God is his unbelievable wholeness in the midst of our absence. And that's the invitation of the passage. And it, But it's such a misunderstanding that's sort of ripped out of the text because of our health and wealth, syncretized, prosper gospel, I would suggest. Well, good I, word. I have plans for you that are good and for your good. And I think anytime, anytime I sin, it's because I'm thinking deep down, this is better for me than what God has for yeah. me. Mm-hmm. And so when I can break through the lies of the devil and my flesh to see that everything God wants for me is for my good, even if it's martyrdom, everything he wants for right. me is for my good. And that helps break the, the, the power of sin to a degree. <laughs> it does. A statement that I like is that you really don't know Jesus well in the Bible until you know what he said in the whole Bible. And our problem is we are very selective. It's very easy. You do, you go to most churches uh, in America. Most pastors are going to preach a message that's positive, mm-hmm. that people are going to come away and say, wow, you know, that was exciting for my marriage or for raising my kids or whatever. The, but too often we don't hear sermons about, you know, you're going to suffer. You know, you're going to be rejected. You're going to be beaten. You know, you can't count on anything in this world. All you can count on is that I love you and you have eternal life. We don't want to hear those messages. But you go overseas, you know, and I've been blessed to be in Bangladesh and India and other places. They talk about that a lot Mm -hmm. Mm because that is their life. Yeah. If you want to take the words of Jesus seriously, he says things like, so here's the deal. In this world, you're going to have trouble. Like that that is not meaning that God is not faithful. It means that the world is broken and fractured and we are not living in a world that is redeemed yet. So, of course, we're going to have trouble. And again, the great promise is not that we're going to prosper financially and with health and relationships in this world. The great promise is that in the midst of the world that is filled with trouble, with the principalities and the powers and the darkness and all of what's there, God promises his presence. And thus we can be whole 
in the midst of the absence of this world. Good and I, I think if we could re-invite people into that way of life, it would just help our faith so much. Yep. And would make us much more empathetic toward others. I totally would. I totally would. This, uh, I think it was this last week, maybe, I had Robert Morgan on. He was a pastor who's written an entire book on Romans 8.28. Mm. And, I, and he, he said, if we really believe this, that all things work for the good of those who love him, it would really change the way we live if we really believed that verse. Mm-hmm. And he said, he, he said that the verse starts with, we know. Mm. We know. And I think, well, is that a transformational verse in your life? Do you, do you really live that verse out thinking, I know all things work for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose? That, I think that's a huge comfort yeah, verse. Really I do too. And I, yeah. I, I, when, I, when I was going through COVID praying the Lord would take my life because it was awful, I, I you know at a moment like that, you know it's true Romans eight twenty eight, but you sure don't feel it. And most of my life, I feel it. But man, when you go through intense suffering, all you can do is cling to something like Romans eight twenty eight, even though you don't feel it at all. And, and even if the worst would have happened, right, Brock? Like, yeah. you, like we would all believe sitting here today yeah. that even if the worst happened and you would have perished from COVID, happens. that God still had your yeah. back. That even if you die, yet you live. And yeah, so God's go. goodness doesn't always just extend to the circumstances like, of this world. I'm, it means that even if you die, yet you live, he always has your back. And I, I don't say this every time somebody's dying, but I I'd sometimes say, you know, if the worst happens, right. the, best the best happens. That's exactly right. Mm-hmm. I was playing chess with my grandson uh, last week. He lives in Michigan now. He's uh, almost 18. Is he better than you? Oh, he he. It's been a long time since I played chess, so <laughs> out of eight, eight games, I got checkmated seven times. <laughs> but what was interesting about it is that, you know, you're always trying to think ahead in the moves. And what I get out of that verse is that the Lord is standing behind you as you're playing chess. And he's saying, even when you make a bad move, I can find a way to turn that into good if you'll trust me. Mm. And, and so all things I will make for good. I will turn them into good for you if you trust me and live according to my will. The problem is we don't like the conditions. We want the promise, but we don't want the conditions. You got to put them both together, and when you get that, then the Lord will get you where you need to be. Yeah, mm-hmm. you're right. Romans yeah. eight twenty eight says God causes all things to work together for good of those who love Him. And so are that's called not according to His will. That's right. So that verse is not a blanket verse for anybody on the planet. No. It's for those who love Him. Mm. Mm. All right, we just have three minutes left. Uh, what's the difference between confession and repentance? The word confess means to agree with. So do agree, you agree with God that you have... But, you know, a true confession always revol- r- r- involves repentance. Most people, I think, that are confessing their sins do... Uh, Christian people, that is, do really wish they could stop this. It, when people say, well, yeah, I confess my sins and don't desire to stop it, I don't know that I've yeah. met a lot of people like that. Yeah, but, I, I, and I haven't either, but I think there is some, for some people, it does feel so good to finally say out loud what you've been hiding, yes. right? Mm-hmm. And there's this tremendous relief that Amen. happens when you finally acknowledge it and stuff. But there is that second step that says, okay, but oh, I'm also I, broken by yeah. the realities of what I'm doing. I need to repent from that. So, mm-hmm. yeah. I saw a great illustration. You know, we think of repentance as like turning around, going in a new direction. This illustration showed the Lord taking off the top of my head, taking out my mind in repentance and putting his mind in me. That's real repentance. It's not no longer thinking the way I think. It's saying, when I face this situation or I face these people, I'm going to have your mind, not my mind any longer. So you can confess it, but not seek the Lord's mind. When you confess it and seek the Lord's mind, then you have the whole package. A listener named Julie sent me over a link that said that 
Romans, I mean, Jeremiah twenty nine eleven is the favorite Bible verse around the world. Hmm. Don't question that. Yeah, bit. not yeah. surprising. I would think John three sixteen would be. I much prefer John three sixteen. <laughs> I need to click on the link to make sure I got this right. <laughs> but oh, it is interesting. I, I think that's very telling. Oh wait, about no, what makes it a I'm favorite, sorry. I'm sorry. Verse. The favorite verse is Philippians four six. Oh, don't worry about anything, but in everything through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Yeah. And then the peace of God, which yeah. passes all understanding, will guide your hearts and minds in Christ yeah. Jesus. I love and, that verse. And yeah, I love it. It's favorite. Yep. Passes all understanding. Right. And what's right, it's most, independent of circumstances. What's yeah. the most popular hymn in America? Please. Mighty fortresses are God. No. Oh. You going to sing it? No. Sing it. <laughs> How great thou art. That's the number one hymn in the United States mm-hmm. for many years. I that think. one drives me to tears, actually. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's beautiful. Yeah. You know, we're out of time. We are indeed. Yeah. We must have a minute to be able to cover something. No, uh, we have a minute exactly. <laughs> <laughs> what do you guys want to cover in one minute? I would like a Brockett saying. Okay. Why not? Oh, let's see. What? Just don't I, sing I that love, stupid commercial. Love, <laughs> what's, what's that? Just don't sing that stupid commercial yeah, one more time. But you know what I love, and I want it at my funeral, is Old Rugged Cross. That is a sing great a one. Mm-hmm. Sing hill. a little. Mm-hmm. On a hill far away stood an old rugged cross, the emblem of suffering and shame. I sang that at my mom's funeral, and I want somebody to sing it at my funeral. Ah, oh, it's beautiful. It was my... I will. <laughs> <laughs> it's not, it's not, I trust it's not going to sound good. No, we're happy to do yeah, it. But we'll do it. Oh. <laughs> All right. Thanks so much, guys. It's always great to be together. And that wraps up Guide Talk for now. Deep Thinker Thursdays next. John and Pam Bloom will be right back. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.